turn with me to the book of Matthew again, chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. And, and I want to I pull us back to that passage where we talked about last week uh, as Jesus had taken his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi. And, um, and there he asked them a very probing question, who do people say that I am? And they gave various answers, and he said, who do, who do you say that I am? And you remember uh, Peter, under inspiration, revelation of the Lord, said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? And so we'll pick up there, and Jesus says in verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. And Father, we thank you for that. And um, God, speak to us, help us understand, bring clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, listen, in, it's in this chapter that, that referred to, remember, the Bible was not written, originally the Bible was not written in English. What we have has been handed down to us, have been translations, and a translation, thank God, um, from the original languages into English. And um, so when you come to this word church in the Greek Bible, in the original uh, Testament, uh, the Greek Bible, that it would say, it would use the word here, ecclesia. All right, all right, ecclesia, or more accurately, probably ecclesia. All right, ecclesia, and so that's that's the simple title of the message uh, this morning is ecclesia, and I want you to say that to your neighbor. Say ecclesia. All right, you got it. Now you're, hey, you're speaking Greek. Man, it's only been a few minutes. You're speaking Greek already. So there you go. But uh, ecclesia, this is a this is a Greek word, and it has its it's the root for the English words that that we know as ecclesiastical, that, per, that pertaining to the church, or ecclesiology, which is the study of the doctrine of the church. That's where it all comes from, okay? But ecclesia was used for the first time here in the New Testament by Jesus himself saying, I will build my church. I will build my assembly, my assembly. Now, there's a, a couple different meanings. One portion, it could mean assembly. Another means called out. Um, more accurately, scholars refer to those things together, called out assembly, okay? But it, nevertheless, Jesus is talking, and we can, don't get all bogged down in, in all the details and, and uh, various arguments because it's really simple. How many know it's man that makes things complicated? God's made it simple. But, um, but a called out assembly, there were other assemblies when um, various people would be called out, the, the men of towns would be, uh, uh, various areas would be called out, would be meeting together to make important decisions or maybe a call to arms, a call to war, whatever, um, various assembly. But Jesus says, I'm going to build my assembly. I'm going to build my, call, my called out assembly. They're called out to assembly. You and I have been called out. We've been called out of life of darkness, and we've been called into His wonderful light, and we are His assembly. We are His people. We are His congregation. We collectively are His church, right? We're His church. And, um, and so I want to get into that. Ecclesia is a compound of two segments. Ek is a preposition, that meaning out of. 
kalia, meaning to call, so together it signifies what? To call out, all right? And, um, and so in this, as we talk about the church, and you read through the New Testament, um, because it's not mentioned till this point, this is something that, that's the institution of Jesus Christ, just like in the beginning that um, the institution of marriage was created by God. Have you all say Amen. Right, and now he, he, the institution of the church, we see coming about, coming to be in this in this area. But the Bible uses numerous metaphors or word pictures that represent the church to help us to understand better and more fully just what the church is and what it's all about. And so this morning, I want to point out uh, three of those metaphors or pictures, you might say, that are most outstanding. Okay. And um, great pictures. And so the scriptures refer to the church of Jesus Christ as a building, as a body, and as a bride. And so I want to get into those today and, uh, and this morning and, and try to bring uh, some of those things together, bring some clarity. The church as a building has Christ as the cornerstone. The church as a body has Christ as the head. The church as a bride has Christ as the groom. And uh, so each one give us, gives us uh, a little bit uh, different piece of the picture, uh, so to speak, of what the church is all about. How many you realize the church is just an incredible thing? Amen? This like marriage is an incredible thing. And um, God had a great plan. I was so thrilled that one of the uh, candidates that uh, they had the uh, first Republican debate, all that stuff started already. And I was so glad one of them commented on the fact that the, the greatest institution uh, the, for God and, and for society, help building a healthy society, is, is marriage and the family. Amen? So I'm so, was so thrilled to hear that to make the highlights again. So it ought to, right? Uh, so anyway, let's just start off with that first piece of talking about the church, uh, ecclesia, as a building. As, as mentioned last week, when we talk about when the church is referenced as a building, we're not talking about a physical structure like this made of wood or bricks, mortar, and stone. It's not that type of thing, but it's made up, it's a spiritual building made up of God's people. Now, we all know that in the Old Testament, or if, you, if you've been around church for a while, if not, it would be new to you, but you would realize as you read through the Old Testament that we do have... Uh, some important physical structures there in the in the Old Testament. In Exodus, uh, you remember what what God had Moses to build as as he brought his people out, and Israel is is being formed into a nation that's going to be a light to the world. And God's bringing them together. He's establishing the system of worship. And and Moses, God asked Moses to construct to build. Uh, what we, we knew would come to be known as the tabernacle, right? And it's amazing in the symbolism that God places in the tabernacle. Remember, the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. It's an example. It's a, it's a foretaste of what God's going to give us later on in fulfillment. And folks, we're experiencing so much of the fulfillment that so many generations look forward to. We have this, and it's an amazing, wonderful thing. Let us really appreciate what we have today. Amen? So Moses is called to, to build the, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle, if you don't know, was a, was a mobile structure. It was, it was a 
literally glorified tent. It was a very expensive tent. Like today it would have cost millions upon millions of dollars to construct. And, um, but it was a tent. Why was it a tent? Because Israel was not settled. They were traveling through the wilderness and God was taking them to the promised land. And you know, there's something to be said here. Listen, don't drive your, don't drive your, uh, don't build your foundation too strongly right here and right now. We're, we're living in this tent. We're not here to stay. How I many know we're on the move? And we'll, we'll settle once we get to the other side, but right now we're moving, right? And uh, so, they're moving. It was a, and so, the, God would lead them, and when He would take them to another place, the cloud of the Lord, the glory of the Lord would lead them. They would literally pack up their tent, so to speak, uh, the tabernacle along with their personal tents, and they would follow along until the, until the presence of the Lord stopped at a certain area. Then they would stop and set up camp and set up the tabernacle again and all of those things and continue with the system of worship. But the tabernacle was a movable structure and it was devoted to the Lord, built very precisely and specifically to God's instructions. It was a holy place. And it represented the presence of God. And when you were to read in Exodus, the last chapter of Exodus 40, verses 34 through 35, um, it reveals that when the tabernacle was complete, when everything was in place and everything had been constructed and organized and set in place as God had, had planned, and Moses did everything according to God's plan, precisely and exactly, as everything was set in place, and this, uh, then the glory of the Lord, it says the glory of the Lord came down and filled the tabernacle. It filled the tabernacle. So it literally was a physical structure. And the presence of God came down and dwelt there. And people could see that the presence of God was among them. Oh, how many of you got glad for the presence of the Lord? Amen? Nothing greater than the presence of the Lord. And so, so that's what happened there. And then, then years passed. Generations came and went. And finally the time came and uh, you had the, the kings begin to come on the scene. And, and God placed it upon King David's heart to build a temple for the Lord. The difference between the only difference between the tabernacle and the temple was that the temple was permanent because by this time the people had entered into the promised land that God had given them and they had established their home and all the territories had been designated to the various tribes and everything had been set up. And so now that they were uh, home, so to speak, now they could set up a permanent structure and David had it on his heart to do it. But God said, listen, you're not the one to build it. I've revealed the plans to you, but it's not going to be you. It's going to be your son. And therefore, it's known as Solomon's temple, right? And, uh, and so Solomon is, is called upon by the Lord to build the temple of the Lord. Again, uh, other than being, uh, not being a mobile unit, being permanent, it was, it, it was exact and precise, except for the fact that it was, uh, the structure was slightly different. The purposes, all the the um, utensils, the, the main pieces of furniture were all the same and all of this. Um, but it set it up and as soon as he did, when everything was in place, again, what happened? The glory of the Lord came down and the presence of the Lord filled the temple. And uh, people could rejoice at the presence of God being there, amen, being among them. Years pass again. Israel backslides, it falls into great sin. 
and so deeply, even after warning, after warning, after warning. How many know God always warns? He never brings judgment without warning. He always sends, and let me tell you, when he sends a prophet, and the prophet's got his finger, so to speak, pointed, it's, it's never with a, with a frown, it's always with a tear in his eye, begging. How many of you all, when you see somebody, you know they're going the wrong direction, it's going to hurt them. And you, and you, you just weep, you're crying, out, please don't do that, please don't do that. Let me tell you what's going on, right, you're pleading, that's God's heart. And his loving kindness, he's trying to call out, but they wouldn't do it. And I pray, friend, don't press against God. If God is confronting you about something, humble yourself and turn. Don't let things fall apart. It doesn't have to go that far. How many of you, though, felt yourself sometimes that, you know, it had to fall apart? You don't have to lift your hand. But, oh, God, help us. Why do we wait till things get so desperate before we turn? Why do you have to wait till the doctor tells you, listen, if you don't quit this, you're going to die. Why do we wait till we get to that point? Oh, God, help us that we'll turn around. But Israel, they didn't turn, and so God handed them over to a pagan nation. And in the process of that, the temple that they had built, that had been built by Solomon, it was so beautiful. People came from everywhere, represented the presence of the Lord, the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the holiness of God. It was destroyed. The people were disbanded and were spread about. But over the course of time, how do you know what happened? Seventy years later, as God promised, God brought him back. Amen? God brought him back, and a new temple was built, and uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest were at the, at the center of this and helping to reconstruct the temple. And God promised in the book of Haggai that again, as it would be rebuilt, and it was, he said again, my glory will fill the temple. And so the glory of the Lord again filled the temple. Now I'm going somewhere. All right, y'all with me? Now hang on. I'm three different times, three different structures, and the glory of the Lord came down and filled the temple. These are all Old Testament things. And then we make a transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And Jesus Christ comes in the fullness of time. Jesus Christ comes. And there is, a, there is a different plan and something that God wants to implement. How many of you know God always wants to be near us? Right? And he said, that which was with you will be in you. And you know something happened in the New Testament here. And this whole thing, new thing, there was a new thing. And it was, it was a new building. And it was called the church. Ecclesia. And it wasn't a building, a physical structure. It was a building of, of people like you and me that God had in mind. And when we see at the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, we see there on the day of Pentecost, what? The day of Pentecost, the church was gathered. Who was gathered? The saints of God. You see, they had been made holy by the blood of the Lamb because Jesus had gone to the cross and He had died for people's sins. Right? The sacrifice had been made. And that's when, notice what happened. Do you remember what happened after Jesus died on the cross? All of a sudden there's a great earthquake. Various things begin to happen. There were resurrections. And in the temple at that time, what happened? The veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where the presence of God dwelled above the mercy seat. The temple, the, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom 
Because now, through the blood of Jesus Christ, everybody had access, and it was not just the high priest who could only go into that place once a year during the time of the tabernacle and the temples that were built, but now it's everybody can come and enter into the presence of the Lord because we've been washed and made holy by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And so that's how people who had repented, their sins have been washed away. They've been made guiltless as if they never sinned, totally pure, white as snow. They had been prepared and everything was in place. And therefore again on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, the glory of God fell and filled them. Amen. Came upon them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. Know you not, you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. This was a holy place. Tabernacle was a holy place. The temple was a holy place. Sacrifices had to be made. You never walked casually into there into that area there was a sacrifice had to be made outside and the priests would offer that people would bring their sacrifices because of the various sins and the priests would would observe and uh, the, the sacrifice and analyze and look and and uh, see if the sacrifice was appropriate and was was right and and uh, if it was then it was offered and and their sins were atoned for right the whole system of worship. But now we have once for all, Jesus has given his life for us and we've been washed and we've been cleansed. Hallelujah. And so we are the building of God. Amen? We're the building of God. No, you're not. You're the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. In in 1 Peter, it says this. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me read some of the verses here. 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, to Christ, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Down to verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen? We're called to be what kind of a people? A holy people. We're called out holy people. We're holy. Nothing sinful. We're righteous, made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. 
some of you, I, I, may, I've, I'm, I know I've shared this in, in some years past, but um, for many of you, I, I'm, I'm sure I've, you've never heard me say this, but it was, it was back in the mid-1990s, and, and I just in time of prayer with the Lord, and I said, God, I said, help me, my, my heart's heavy, I'm burdened. I said, why are so many of our leaders, why are so many falling? Why are so many falling? Why are they falling morally? And, um, and the Lord brought me to the times when Jesus was here on earth and he went and he cleansed the temple. It happened two different times and he cleansed the temple. And the Lord showed me something I hadn't seen before. But when, how many of y'all remember when, he did, when Jesus did that, right? He went there and, and the money changers were there and they were, they were buying and selling and, and they had all these things and the, and the sacrifices that they were selling to people for exorbitant prices and all of this. And it was, it, was, it was just ridiculous. There was no worship. There was no godly heart in it. It was not just and all kinds of stuff. And Jesus saw this and he went and he, what, he, he overturned the money change. The one, said, one says that he made a whip actually. And drove them off. Now, that's pretty aggressive, wouldn't you say? So Jesus vehemently addresses them and drives them out and says, my, my father's house right, shall be a house of prayer. This is a holy place. People meeting with God, my house shall be a house of prayer. And, um, and so he does that. And, and the Lord showed me. He said, he said, look, I want you to see this. When Jesus did that, we, we refer to it as cleansing the temple. But these things were actually not hep happening in the temple. They were happening on the temple steps. They were happening on the temple steps. Lord, help us. As temples of the Holy Spirit, we need to be aware of and guard what is on our steps because what we allow or tolerate on our steps will soon be in our temple. God forbid, because he's made us to be holy. Amen? So listen, how many realize God as part of ecclesia that we are God's building and God's place where that, that we ought to be holy and people ought to look at us. I remember one of the deacons that, uh, uh, that, we, that, that served with us at one particular church, um, one, his nickname was Halo. <laughs> How do you know that's a great thing? It's, great, it's a great compliment to be called Halo. And, um, and how do you know, listen, now, we don't live perfect lives, but how do you know when people see us as a people of God, they, they ought to see us as righteous. They ought to see us as godly. They ought to see us as honorable and trustworthy. Right? And people of our word. Well, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, where the church is a building and the church is a body. Second Corinthians will talk about that. I realized this morning, walking through this, and I was concerned about it in preparation, and, and, um, and I probably have taken on more than I can chew this morning, more than we probably have time for. So I feel like this morning I'm going to get to, I'm going to talk more about maybe the body, uh, the church as a body next Sunday. 
Um, but let me, let me mention a couple things here as the body is made up of, of many parts. How many of you glad your body's all together? <laughs> I can tell you I am. Amen. And, uh, you know, you know your leg's not going to exist separated from its body. Your hand's not going to exist separated from your body. You're, all right? You get the picture. God's made us to be a body, and I'll, and I'll talk about that. But let me, let me say some very important things were mentioned in the announcements today, and that was related to Connect Hour and Connect Groups. It's all about connecting. It's all about the body of Christ coming together. Amen. Connecting with the Lord, connecting with each other, because we can't be what God designed us to be unless we come together. We can't have the benefits of the church without coming together. It cannot happen. Anybody that tries to do anything outside of that is doing any, something that's totally unbiblical. Do not give up. Do not fall into the habit of not meeting together. Amen? Don't get in the habit of not meeting together, as some, uh, some have done. Um, but all the more as we see the day approaching. Yeah? And so, so I'll get into that. And so thank God for those um, this time of Connect Hour in the morning and Connect Groups that's not limited only to meeting on Sunday, but there's other times that we can get together. How many glad we can get together at any time during the week? Amen? And uh, so that's what this is all about, and, and just trying to draw closer to the Lord. Let me, let me just say something here, too. I want to encourage, I heard all about, you know, the, 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 the ladies teaching the kids and the ladies teaching the, the, the Connect Tower and the adult classes and whatever. Let me tell you, guys, come on, some of you guys are incredible gifted teachers. In some denominations, we'd be in trouble They don't allow women teachers, and so we would be teacherless. And uh, so, guys, step up and use the gift God's given you. That's all I'm gonna say. Amen. All the ladies said, "Amen." Amen. All right. Enough said. Let me let me let me just let me close today by talking about about this third piece of ecclesia. And, um, and that is the church as a bride. The church as a bride. Hallelujah. How many know that the church, and even guys, I know it's kind of uh, you know, awkward for us to say, but we're thinking about it in a spiritual sense. In this sense, we are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. Amen? Because it's talking about the church, and, and Jesus is the groom. And so the church is the bride of Christ. And there's a, a, a great passage there in Ephesians in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 25, it says this. Husbands, husbands, you there? Husbands, love your wives as Christ does the church, his bride. How did he love her? By giving himself up for her. And I've seen guys in the past that just... just they're just stupid. <laughs> they they want to focus on, a, on, on concentrating on the wife submitting to them. That's not your concern. God's not going to judge you based upon whether your wife submits to you or not. He's going to judge her based on whether she submits to you or not. He's going to judge you and me on whether or not we love our wife like Christ loves the church. That's our job. Even if he gave, his, gave, gave up his life for the church. Even, even before the, while the church was still a sinner, God gave his life for it. Amen? That's how we love our wives, the way Christ loves the church. I'm still working on that one. I don't know about y'all. I'm still trying to, 
get to that level. I know I'm probably alone in that, but uh, <laughs> amen. But that's what we're talking about. But I want you to think about, so as, are you a part of the church? Are you saved? Do you have Jesus Christ in your heart? Then God loves you. Jesus loves you, right? He loves you enough that he gave his life for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an immeasurable love, with an unending love. Like I said a few weeks back, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He just loves you. The only thing left is whether or not we're going to love him back. That's the only thing that has, that's up for debate or to be seen. But God loves you. Amen? And so we live with the love of God. How many of you encourage every day because of the love of God towards you? Look at your neighbor and say, God really loves you. Now, now how many of you say, but how many of you tempted to make, him, make an excuse, but, but I this, but I don't deserve that, but I'm not good enough, but, but you don't know what I've done. doesn't matter. God loves you. Amen? He loves you. I mean, He loves you. This is not like a worldly love. No, this is godly love, right? And then Revelation 19, 7 through 9 says this, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the wedding of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. <laughs> the wedding, I mean, you know, that's one of the next big things on the calendar, is when Jesus Christ returns to earth for His bride. He, he had gone away, and, the, and as the apostles were there, and the, the group was there looking up into heaven as Jesus ascended into heaven, and the angels came and said, why do you stand here gazing? Don't you know that this same one who's left in this way is also going to come back, and he's going to come back and set his feet on the Mount of Olives? How many of you know that Jesus, the groom, is coming back? And it's very soon. He's coming back. The scripture has told us this and said in the last days that people would begin to question the promise of his coming. But it's going to happen. Matthew 25, you would read an example of that. And uh, when it talks about, it says this, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. It says five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. In other words, basically speaking, five were prepared and five were unprepared. And it said that, that there was a long delay. How many know it's been a long delay? It's been 2,000 years, right, since Jesus has delayed, since the, the, the groom has delayed coming back. But how many know because he's building a, an eternal place for us. He's building something for you and for me. Amen? And one of these days we're going to enjoy streets of gold and all of those things. Though, God, I really don't care. As long as you're there, it could be dirt roads. I really don't care. But he's preparing a place for us. In Jewish culture... The thing of it was, whenever a groom, whenever they were engaged, that groom would go and he would make sure that he had a house built and ready before he would ever go marry the bride. It was already, and so he was out taking care of those preparations and everything, and the engagement might last for a significant time. But the thing of it was, the, 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 the bride was always to remain ready, and, and, and the, the bride's maids were to be ready for the call of the groom. And, um, you know, I mean, really, seriously, I don't, I'm not mean this funny, but, you know, today we, we sing the song, Here Comes the Bride. But in biblical times, the emphasis was not on here comes the bride, but here comes the, 
the groom. And we're waiting on the groom. And that's what's happening here. The, the ten virgins are there and they're waiting. And all of a sudden at midnight at the unexpected hour. And how I many you know Jesus said he's going to come at an unexpected time. Are you ready? Are you ready? He's going to come in an unexpected time. It's going to seem like any other ordinary day. Jesus is going to come. The trumpet's going to sound, right? And the, and the call went out to the, bride, to the bridesmaids. Here comes the groom. Some of them were not ready. And they were left outside. And so we think about the church as the bride. The true church is ready. The true church is working, and the true church is watching, looking. Listen, are we, are we looking for the coming of the Lord? We need, we need to be thinking about heaven. We're also focused on, on earthly things, on, on temporal things, with, and forgetting about where we're going, right? Oh, listen, it's okay. We can, we can concentrate on maybe getting our education. We can concentrate on our job or the next goal that we want to tackle or the next thing that we need to do or the house that we're going to build or whatever we're going to do on earth. But, folks, that, that, all those things need to fade to the background of the number one thing on our mind that here comes the groom, amen, that we're looking for the coming. Are you looking for the coming of the Lord? I, are you looking for the coming of the Lord? Are you ready? And are we helping others? Amen? Hallelujah. I'm part of the church. I'm glad I'm part of the church. Hallelujah. You know, God has built his church. Gamaliel in the book of Acts said, if this thing concerning the disciples and what they were doing in the ministry of the church, they said, if this thing be of God, you can't stop it. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, if you're of God, are you a part of the church? Then the scripture says, if this thing, if you be of God, who can stop it? Because you're part of the church. The promises God made about the church are promises to you. You're part of the church. You're part of the church, right? Those promises are to you. It's not just some vague thing out here. It's not some intangible un thing. It's, it's related to every one of us as the church. And through ancient times, the church thrived and existed and continued on through medieval times. The church thrived and existed and continued on. In modern times, the church is still thriving, existing, continuing on. It's been that way and it's going to build that, be that way. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? So from the apostles to Constantine to Luther, from the enlightenment to the great awakening and everything in between, God has been building his church. I was trying to look through briefly, I mean church history is just so big, I was just trying to look through briefly some of the main points of history and I came across this, I, don't, I couldn't discern who the author was, but it's just so powerful and I just, I just want you to think about just the privilege of being a part of the church. I want you to think about all that's transpired in church history. Have you ever thought about that? This amazing thing called the church. You know, Jesus came, he poured himself into primarily 12 guys who were wishy-washy, <laughs> uneducated, unlearned, ignorant men in the eyes of the world. 
And Jesus poured himself into them for just only about three and a half years. He left. Before he even went to the cross, every single one of those guys that he poured three and a half years into, every one of them, Brother Marvin, every one of them abandoned him. Now Peter followed, but he denied him three times within a short period. Now what kind of odds, what kind, how much would you venture to, to put upon the survival of the church after that? Not much. But Jesus, even knowing all those things that happened, still said, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to obey the Father. And he followed through with the plan of God. And guess what? God began to build his church. Jesus began to build his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the, head, from the dead is alive in you and in me. Are y'all getting this? Hallelujah. We're part of the church. I'm glad to be a part of the church. But I was looking through history, and so I, rather than rewrite all this myself, let me uh, just, uh, if you'll allow me just to, to read it. But it, is, it just touched my heart. You think about the history of the church, and I share this. The church has, during this long succession of centuries, outlived the destruction of Jerusalem, the dissolution of the Roman Empire, the fierce persecutions from without, and heretical corruptions from within. The barbarian invasion, the confusion of the dark ages, the papal tyranny, the shock of infidelity, the ravages of revolution, the attacks of enemies and the errors of friends, the rise and fall of proud kingdoms, empires and republics, philosophical systems and social organizations without number. And behold, it still lives and lives in greater strength and wider extent than ever controlling the progress of civilization and the destinies of the world, marching over the ruins of human wisdom and folly, ever forward and onward, spreading silently its heavenly blessings from generation to generation and from country to country to the very ends of the earth. It can never die. It will never see the decrepitude of old age. But like its divine founder, it will live in the unfading freshness of self-renewing youth and the unbroken vigor of manhood to the end of time and will outlive time itself. Single denominations and sects Human forms of doctrine, government, and worship, after having served their purpose, may disappear and go the way of all flesh. But the church universal of Christ, ecclesia, in her divine life and substance, is too strong for the gates of hell. She will only exchange her earthly garments for the festal dress of a lamb's bride and rise from the state of humiliation to the state of exaltation and glory. Then at the coming of Christ, she will reap the final harvest of history. And as the church triumphant in heaven will celebrate and enjoy the eternal Sabbath of holiness and peace. This will be the endless end of history. That's the church. That's how it survived. That's you and me as a part of the body of Christ. Folks, get a hold of that. Get a hold of who he is. Get a hold of who you are in Christ Jesus. There is nothing like, there is nothing equivalent to the church. Nothing so mighty. Nothing so powerful. Amen. Nothing so important as a church. Are you glad to be a part of it? You are a part of that. Admitting at the beginning of the service today, we read from Romans 8, 28. 
And God works all things together for the good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose. How I many you know God's still working? He's working in you. He's working. He's working. I don't know what, why this happened to me. I don't want to happen. I still don't know what happened. I feel like, because I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't want to happen. I feel like Satan just pushed us out in the front of that car. I, I, really, I don't really know. How, I, can't, I have no picture of it. But I believe this, that God works all things together for the good. I'm part of his church. I'm part of the redeemed. Hallelujah.